This is Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. Welcome to Episode 32 of Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission, recorded on September 3rd, 2020. This is where you can find all you need or want to know about Downtown Halifax. I'm Ivy Ho, Director of Communications. And I'm Alana McDonald-Mills, Director of Marketing. We are your hosts for the Downtown Lowdown. We'll be giving you the lowdown on what's new in business, COVID-related regulations, and issues that affect downtown. We also talk to key individuals that help to make downtown Halifax better. We have a great episode today on BizBuzz. We'll be talking about what's new in business, places to get breakfast and lunch in downtown Halifax, where to get reusable face masks, and more. Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, will give us an update on the mayoral candidates forum out of town students and office workers coming back to downtown, and a new version of Tunes at Noon, as well as a new delivery pilot project. Up first is today's featured interview, Ivy Talks to Tanya Davis, Manager of the Strategic Transportation Planning Program for Halifax Regional Municipality. Today's discussion will focus on the Halifax Mobility Response, Streets and Spaces program that was initiated during COVID-19. Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, will also join that conversation to give his thoughts from a business improvement district point of view. Tanya Davis is the Manager of Strategic Transportation Planning Program for the Halifax Regional Municipality. In the last 15 years, she's worked in several roles within the organization. Her current role includes being project manager for the implementation of the Integrated Mobility Plan, Halifax's first land use, and the Transportation Master Plan. The Strategic Transportation Planning Team consists of engineers, planners, landscape architects, and technicians who oversee the implementation of the Integrated Mobility Plan as well as lead the streetscaping and urban design program for HRM. Among other projects, they assist in the implementation of active transportation, such as the Regional Center All Ages and Abilities Bike Network, such as Hollis Street, lead the Transportation Demand Management Program for HRM, lead the streetscaping program for HRM, including implementation of Argyle and Grafton, and lead the mobility response team that was initiated during COVID-19. So Tanya, welcome to Downtown Lowdown. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us. Really great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, We also have Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, joining us. He will be sharing his thoughts on the Halifax Mobility Response uh, from the Business Improvement District point of view. So, Tanya, today we're going to focus on the Halifax Mobility Response Streets and Spaces program, mainly because people would have noticed some recent changes on the streets around the city, in particular in Downtown Halifax. So can you explain the program, you know, what it is and how it came about? Sure. Um, So we started to get an understanding of the impacts of COVID-19 and in anticipation of some of the the public health directives being lifted, um, the municipality started preparing to implement um, some adjustments to the transportation network. So, and that was in in anticipation of, uh, you know, being able to move freely around the city, but also to make sure that we're we're trying to reduce the the spread of COVID-19. So at that time, it was expected, you know, that the need for physical distancing would still remain in place um, for the foreseeable future, and certainly we're seeing that now. Um, and we also expected that the transportation patterns would would continue to change and evolve, um, and we wanted to try and identify how we could do that. So we, we heard from council, we heard from residents uh, that we needed to, to work together to adapt our streets uh, during this time. And the work, this work, this type of kind of conversation was very much in line with the the work that my team does in transportation planning and the work that we already had began um, under the integrated mobility plan. So it made a lot of sense for for my team to lead it. So, you know, as we started to develop this plan, um, we knew that collaboration was going to be really important with both internal and external stakeholders. So, you know, and that the success of it or or whatever would be uh, dependent on that collaboration. So we, we took our first steps to, you know, as an engineer, I, I do a project charter. You know, we, we talk about how we're actually going to execute on things and, you know, start to work with our internal colleagues to to figure it out. So traffic management and right-of-way and compliance and AT and all those people got got around the room so we could start making some decisions. Yeah, you, you mentioned collaborating with some stakeholders. So can you go through the, the process of engagement? Uh, 
for the strategy? Sure. So, you know, I, I think you can appreciate, you know, there wasn't a lot of time for engagement um, in kind of the traditional sense that we do engagement on most of our, our projects that we do as a municipality. And it seemed like daily things were changing. So mm -hmm. it was hard to kind of keep up with kind of what was opening, what was closing, um, the timing of it. So, you know, and we weren't allowed to do an in, in-person in engagement either. So, so that was a whole different way. So we had to be a bit more creative. So uh, the good part is, is that many of the projects or the discussions we were having had already been part of other approved plans through the Integrated Mobility Plan or the Active Transportation Priorities Plan. So, you know, a lot of that engagement had already been done. People were aware of some of those locations. So we did engage with local councillors and certainly with the business improvement district. Certainly, Paul and I have never chatted this much in my <laughs> whole career at HRM. No, this this so. is great. Yeah, it's a great, you know, uh, initiative to, to start those dialogues. Yeah. yeah, so that was really great. And, you know, and we were also working with our local advocacy groups uh, on several occasions. So, you know, when, when you're in COVID and you're trying to get the message out there, you know, certainly working with the people that you can trust in, in your communities, but also, you know, we did our traditional stuff from, a, you know, developed a website and frequently asked questions. And, you know, we developed a Shape Your City website uh, where residents could go on. There's a map there. They could pin actions where they wanted us to see and take and, and all that stuff. And it was it was a really powerful tool because we were able to get hundreds mm -hmm. of responses through that, which is which is both exciting and terrifying if you're from a municipal perspective, but it was really good. Um, and although, you know, we may be not able to address all of the concerns at this particular time, we were able to kind of get that feedback for future programs or or those types of things, because certainly the mobility response plan couldn't handle all of the stuff. So it's interesting in terms of how how thinking has has uh, sometimes had to be changed and altered. Uh, so you know, people that are in the engineering field and certainly the planning field, you know, we, we want to have you know good engagement, broad engagement, you know, iterative iterative design. That's a hard word to say. Um, but with this with uh, with this, it was really about moving fast, right? Uh -huh. So kind of looking at what other cities were doing, what things we thought would work, uh, and really communicating, you know, I think to the to the businesses that would be affected. Uh, to say, listen, there hasn't been a lot of engagement. We think this is something that's going to work, uh, but it's a pilot project. And if we, you know, make some pretty easy, uh, cheap changes this week, and it's a disaster, then next week we can pull it out and, and do something different. So there was, there was, in some cases, a little bit of pushback at maybe a perceived lack of engagement, um, but there just wasn't the time to do full engagement. And again, it was, it was pretty easily reversible. So we always wanted to make sure that that, um, that businesses understood that this was a pilot project. Uh, but at the same time, some of the, you know, the best ideas come out of pilot projects. You think about the about the you know the skating oval on the commons mm -hmm. you know it was never meant to, meant to be a permanent um, you know Argyle Street went through a, a pilot project phase so um, so yeah so it, it did we we kind of veered a little bit off from our uh, I guess our usual way of uh, of engagement in particular but um, um, but we certainly have have gotten lots of feedback and, and for the most part very positive feedback about yeah. the changes yeah that, that that is a good point because you know there was an immediate need. Uh, for this kind of strategy uh, because of COVID. COVID wasn't waiting <laughs> for, right. for any kind of engagement. It's, it, was, it was happening. So, um, yeah, that's a good point, Paul. Anything else you wanted to add to that, Tanya? No, I think you're right on, Paul. I mean, and that's why we have a, a tactical urbanism program that we started last year is to test ideas before we go in. And, and certainly with COVID, it, it was, you know, kind of let's try it and see what happens and adjust. And, and we did adjust throughout the summer as well. So when we heard feedback from residents, we were able to go back and adjust um, based on that feedback or based on th some things that worked or didn't work. So mm -hmm. um, it was very, a very much an iterative process. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, uh, of course, I went to the website and yeah. took a look around uh, the website, and there are some areas of focus. Can you talk about those areas of focus in, within that strategy? Sure. So when we first um, kind of looked at what this program or plan or whatever we want to call it is going to be, we, we looked across the world, certainly uh, internationally and nationally, people were, were were doing some of these things already. So we, we had the luxury of looking at that. So as we started to look through, we, we started to focus down on, on four focus areas. So space to move, space to queue, space to load, and space to support um, business, um, which was really good. So when we talk about space to move, we, we looked at, you know, expanded sidewalk, temporary sidewalks to allow people to continue to physically distance. We adjusted some signal timings at some of our major intersections uh, to reduce wait times for pedestrians. 
And we developed a network of slow streets that aligned with the AT Priorities Plan and the Integrated Mobility Plan, the All Ages and Abilities Regional Center Network. Um, so that was really good. Um, talking about space to queue, um, we were able to create some bump outs for people to queue at intersections so that they weren't all kind of condensed in one area on some of our busier ones. Loading was really important because the model in which res uh, restaurants worked at the very beginning was that there was a lot of pickup and deliveries, so trying to create loading spaces. The curbside pickup, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that was really different, so we had to create that space for people to be able to do that. But then as the summer kind of progressed and things changed, then certainly we got into some other things mm -hmm. um, around supporting businesses differently. So, Tanya, can you tell, tell us about the changes um, that were implemented in Denton, Halifax, in, uh, in particular? So, I mean, and why? Been, yeah, yeah, so we've been working really closely with the bids, um, not just the downtown um, Halifax bid, but all of the different bids mm -hmm. around the organization, um, because every, every different area of the city is a little bit different and the needs are a little bit different. But certainly when it comes to specifically to downtown, um, you know, working collaboratively with Paul and, and your team to understand the needs of the businesses was, was quite important because then we could, we could gather that feedback really quickly and, like I said, uh, try some stuff really quickly. Um, so some of the things, you know, and, you know, why we did it that way, you know, I think we can all appreciate that, you know, when restaurants were reopening and physical distancing was still required, you know, there was quite a significant impact uh, on those businesses. So, you know, and we wanted to make sure that we were encouraging residents and, and business owners to feel comfortable with opening and to come back to the downtown. So that extra space was really important. So some of the projects, you know, that we worked collaboratively on, um, you know, was closing uh, Argyle Street full-time to vehicle uh, traffic between prints and blowers, um, and that allowed for businesses to not only um, spill out because there's some permanent patios there, but to spill out even further than their normal kind of footprint that they would do and allowing pedestrians to, or people on the street to, to be on the street and feel comfortable and be able to physically distancing while they were queuing, waiting to get into those restaurants. Right, because be previously Argyle was only closed in the summertime on the weekends, That's but right. now you know, because of COVID and because of this uh, response team, uh, it's closed all the time you know, yeah, to vehicles. And we, I think we closed it. I don't remember the Paul or the date, Paul, but it was sometime in June, I think. It was a little bit earlier, too. It was earlier year. than typical. It's usually normal. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Earlier so, and full-time. So, which was good, and it was full-time, which is mm -hmm. really great. Um, and so, I the think patios could stay out all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then there was Grafton Street, which was kind of another thing that came um, out of a request um, between Prince and Carmichael, and we were able to convert that to one way. Uh, temporarily um, for vehicles uh, to flow one way to allow those businesses to come out. We also, Bedford Row, I think, was an interesting one as well. Um, I don't know if you've been down there, but there's some beautiful lights and some, some, some tables out in the street, and so that's closed permanently uh, or temporarily permanently during the summer um, to allow for businesses to spill out into that street. And all of that takes... Uh, collaboration internally because we have to check with fire services and we have to check with our compliance people and traffic management and signs have to be changed and barricades implemented and all that stuff. So um, certainly lots of kind of things to figure out. Mm -hmm. But uh, It's great to get kind of a, a, a peek behind the, the curtain of how complicated these things can be because, of course, you're, you're an engineer uh, by trade. And I know when you're even talking to the businesses, you know, you talk to, say, a restaurant owner, they say, well, this is so obvious. Let's close this down. Let's right. do it tomorrow, yeah. which, which physically may be possible. But there's, you know, Bedford Road is a great example. It's, it's a very it's a one-block street, uh, but, it's, but it's complicated. There's a lot of things happening there. There's some, there's some beautiful trees, but they've got these raised ballers, which cause some problems. There's you know there's a, there's a restaurant there that only does uh, pick up and takeout uh, at the moment. There's a parking garage. There's a small parking lot there. Um, so all those all those things had to go in the mix. And and as much as we wanted to you know quickly create additional space for restaurants, we also wanted to ensure that that those changes weren't hindering you know, a neighboring business, because that would kind of defeat the purpose. We're, we're, we're hopefully, you know, helping all businesses. And, uh, and some of these changes, you know, they, they obviously the changes were, were very beneficial for the restaurants. Um, they weren't necessarily going to be beneficial, you know, for the neighboring businesses, but we at least wanted to make sure they weren't going to hurt uh, the operations, whether it's, it's loading or whatever. Um, and I think we, uh, from, the, from the feedback we've had, we've, we've managed to kind of strike that, that nice balance uh, where, where we haven't had any businesses saying, listen, this has really, really hurt me over the summer, which is, I think, obviously what we wanted to achieve. But it, it takes some time to figure that out before you start putting up the barricades. Yeah, and certainly, you know, just that external consultation between the businesses to kind of get some form of, you know, kind of agreement in that. But then there's, like I said, just changing a sign isn't as easy as just changing a sign sometimes, you know. So we had to change the, for Bedford Row, we had to change it from one-way to two-way 
way to allow for the parking garage access. Um, and fire and emergency services, as much as we don't want to think about, you know, kind of bad things, but, you know, they have to have access to all these places and making sure that they can get access to them. So, you know, just trying to figure out all those things to make sure our, our residents and, and the public is safe is, is really important to us. So, it, uh, yeah, so as much as I'd like to say, oh, yeah, sure, tomorrow we can do some of those things, um, because we all think that they're really good ideas um, and we're open to those ideas. I think there is, it does take a little bit of time to get through it. But I would say, you know, we, you know, I think we were successful in, in internally collaborating and getting to, to a good spot where we could make some decisions quicker than we normally would have in the past. And as a, a fun story, the, the very first uh, night that the barricades went up to, to shut half of Bedford Row on or down, um, we got a call, I guess, the next day from one of the businesses saying, I think the city came and, and took the barricades away, uh, and then got a call from folks in the city saying, I think uh, some upset business owners took the barricades away. Anyway, the barricades disappeared. I don't think we've ever found them. No, we um, haven't found those. Someone has some barricades in their backyard or hanging on their dorm room wall or something. But uh, yeah. and, and sometimes that happens, right? <laughs> um, we've had, you know, movement on some of our the barrels on the slow streets and stuff and you know like I said not everything fits everybody the perfect way but I think we're just again with with trial projects and with testing and piloting things we can learn a lot from that so as things get moved maybe maybe we need to look at other locations and you know so you learn a lot from kind of how the the public responds to some of these things so it's it's been it's been a really good experience from that perspective. So the reason behind, um, or the rationale behind mobility response was you know, basically safety because in response to COVID. But what are some of the benefits, uh, in your opinion, uh, that the businesses and uh, visitors would see um, with, uh, with some of the changes in downtown Halifax? And Paul, of course, he can jump in um, as well. Sure. So from my perspective, my goal in this was to help facilitate the conversations and, and to test new ideas and try some stuff to allow for kind of that safety side of, of COVID. Um, but, you know, certainly from a resident of the city and who loves to come downtown, um, you know, making sure that the city was open for business, making people aware that it was open for business and that you could enjoy a meal or time with friends or, you know, but still follow public health directives was really, you know, trying to find that balance between the two um, can be challenging sometimes, but, you know, that was kind of the goal behind why we were pushing for this. I think it's helping advance what we've seen other successful cities do anyway, which is really just changing the balance uh, a little bit more back towards the pedestrian. I think for, mm -hmm. for, for so long it was really much more car-oriented, and I think that we've, what we've seen in a lot of places is, you know, trying to, tr trying to bring some of that public space back for people, particularly pedestrians, uh, but also for cafes and, and other uses. So uh, in some ways it was the, the pandemic was a nice excuse to maybe fast-track some of these things and, and try some pilot projects, which maybe would have been tougher to do uh, before. So uh, we certainly anticipate that, you know, whether these exact changes remain permanent or not, I think remains to be seen. But I think what we're seeing is is a trend in Halifax and, and frankly, in a lot of downtowns to say, let's 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 weight things a little bit differently uh, than they've been weighted in the past, which was very car centric. Mm -hmm. uh, I think overall we'll, you know, the certainly our research shows that that's, that's going to be a good thing for Halifax. So the Halifax Mobility Response Streets and Spaces program was just that, a response to the pandemic and has been focusing on temporary changes. Uh, not to put a damper on the conversation, but uh, Dr. Strang, Chief Medical Officer with the province of Nova Scotia, has stated that we will probably be living with the pandemic for the next one to three years. So what are some of the next steps for, for your department um, in terms of you know, mobility response? Sure. So we're also hearing that through our public health partners. So public health was part of our partners on the mobility response plan. And certainly, you know, we, we're all hearing the same story. And so I think, you know, like I said, with any uh, thing that comes up, there's always opportunity in it. So, you know, as I said, I think already, you know, we learned a lot this summer. Um, things, some things have worked really, really well and some things not so well. Um, and so we just have to take that as an opportunity to, to figure that out. Um, but, you know, as for next steps, you know, th there's certainly still a lot to do this summer, um, as well as start to look towards the future for sure. But, you know, some of the exciting things that are still yet to come are, um, you know, my team already before even this COVID response has a street improvement pilot projects program or our tactical urbanism program. So uh, we just tendered uh, several projects yesterday. So we're going to see some more of that. So we did Young and Islesville a couple weeks ago. And so there's going to be more of those coming out, which will be in the downtown core um, as well as uh, throughout Dartmouth. And so you're going to see us, you know, looking to take some space, more space, for pedestrians and for those who cycle and roll uh, within our streets through that program. So, and that ties really nicely into the mobility response that we were working on too. 
Um, we will be starting to pull up some of the temporary infrastructure around the slow streets, you know, by the end of September um, before the winter season because they are barrels and, you know, snow plows and barrels don't really go well together. So we'll figure that out. Um, we're in the process of putting up a new survey on our Shape Your City webpage so that we can gain feedback from the public um, and from business owners about kind of what worked and what didn't work so that we can be prepared for, you know, kind of what comes next. We'll be working with uh, the downtown bid um, and businesses to determine a date for our Grail Grafton Bedford Road to be converted back to what they traditionally are um, in their typical setup. We're also developing some uh, some messaging for you know back to work and working from home and how to get around using transit and active transportation or active modes, um, which is all in alignment with the transportation demand management stuff and the IMP, which again goes really nicely hand in hand. Um, because, you know, we want people to get back on transit. It's at full service again now. Um, we want people to be getting around in active modes. So how, how can we do that? Uh, so some messaging around that will be coming out next week and in alignment with the schools opening and people kind of heading back to work. And we also have an outstanding council report, um, you know, that had been initiated in April. And so we're going to use that as an opportunity to kind of figure out what we did this year and, and figure out what could be done for any future seasons if we decide to do that and, and get some council direction on that. Well, any other thoughts, any final thoughts? Um, so I think, you know, I, you always kind of end with thank yous, I guess, because, you know, this has been kind of uh, a program that my team has taken on. It, it's not normally part of our program. So, you know, so to start, I guess I want to thank the residents of HRM for their emails, calls, and responses on the Shaper City, because we move fast on this. And without the feedback, it's really hard to know some of that stuff. So we gained a lot of valuable information um, to adjust the mobility response plan this summer, as well as use some of that information to inform our programs uh, within the city, such as our traffic calming program. We heard a lot about traffic calming. We heard a lot about streetscaping. We heard a lot about um, active transportation stuff. So that, that'll help and roll into some of our programs that we already have underway. Um, we also have, a, like I said, uh, just reiterating the survey that we're going to be posting, so I encourage people to use that. Um, and then with respect to the downtown Halifax, you know, I'd like to thank Paul, actually, and, and your team for just the collaborative work because I don't think we could have gotten where we did with some of the downtown stuff without just kind of working back and forth on it. So I think it's, it's really important that, that we work kind of together on some of the stuff moving forward for sure. It's important because we can, we can, if it's successful, we can share the credit, and if it's uh, not, we can share the blame. So. That's uh, fair. Uh, it's been great. I think early on in the spring, it's interesting, certainly through social media, there was a lot of uh, initial criticism about the city generally uh, being, being slow to respond to some of these initiatives, and I think we kind of went from being slow to really actually moving very quickly and mm -hmm. to the point now where, you know, people are, we're certainly sharing these examples of, hey, look, look what's happened with Bedford Row and Argyle Street uh, to, to other cities and our colleagues across the country, and, and, um, and they're taking notice of that so uh, yeah it's, it's been a it's been a great process and uh, we're looking forward to, to continuing it well thank you Tanya for your time really appreciate it um, thank you for being on downtown lowdown and we we look forward to collaborating with you in the future awesome. thank you so much for having me we were talking to Tanya Davis manager of the strategic transportation planning program for Halifax regional municipality she was discussing the Halifax Mobility Response Streets and Spaces program that implemented adjustments to the transportation network in a collective effort to reduce the spread of COVID-19. For more information on the changes to the transportation network in response to COVID-19, visit halifax.ca and search Halifax Mobility Response. We now have Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission. He's updating us on the mayoral candidates forum, out-of-town students and office workers coming back to downtown, and the new version of Tunes at Noon, as well as a delivery program pilot project. Well, thanks for having me back, Ivy. Um, I'm excited to give updates on those uh, various topics. So it's uh, election time. Uh, you, can, you can smell it in the air, perhaps. I don't know. I'm not sure what elections smell like, but there is a bit of excitement. Uh, it's municipal elections uh, across all of Nova Scotia, but of course what we care most about is uh, election for mayor here in Halifax, as well as, as all the council districts uh, are up for grabs. So we know there's going to be, uh, I think, four or five new faces guaranteed around the council table because there's a number of councillors uh, that are stepping down uh, after um, uh, great service, and we wish them well uh, in their retirement or their next endeavours. Um, but one of those councillors is, is stepping down from his council seat um, because he's running 
running for mayor, and that's Matt Whitman, and he is running against uh, our incumbent, uh, Mayor Mike Savage, uh, who is seeking a third term. So as of the recording of this podcast, uh, as far as we know, it's only those two running. Uh, so we're excited about that, and we're excited to, to host, as we always do, a mayoral candidates forum. And so downtown Halifax is uh, is partnering with a whole whack of other business-focused groups. It's the the other eight business improvement districts uh, in in Halifax, as well as uh, Greater Burnside Business Association, and the Chamber of Commerce, Canadian Federation of Independent Business, RHRM Alliance, uh, and the Black Business Initiative. Um, so we're all partnering together to uh, present this forum. Unlike um, other years where we've had a we've rented a, a space like Neptune Theater and and uh, done it live, of course, because of uh, concerns around COVID. This is going to be a virtual uh, debate, so the, the candidates will be in, in a physical location together uh, with a moderator who's Norma Lee McLeod, uh, was a former CBC uh, News anchor person. Um, but it will be only available uh, for people to watch uh, online, so we're going to be broadcasting it uh, live on uh, YouTube and on Facebook. And if you want to get further details about how to uh, how to watch the, the debate or the forum, it's at www.downtownhalifax.ca slash forum. And it's taking place September 16th at 2 p.m. So the questions topics will be mainly focused around business concerns. Uh, if you, the, the common theme, I guess, amongst all the partners is we're all uh, groups that represent uh, businesses, both large and small, in the city. So that'll be our main focus. But we'll try and touch uh, touch uh, other topical topics and uh, and uh, maybe poke a little bit at areas where we know these two candidates uh, disagree with each other. So uh, it should be informative and entertaining. And, um, and I give you permission to tune in from work. Uh, tell your boss that uh, I said it was okay. And people will be able to ask questions live as well. Yes, that's right. So uh, as opposed to other years where uh, excited and engaged citizens might jump up from the back row and yell out a question at our, our candidates, you can't do that. Uh, but you can yell at your computer screen, or even better still, you can actually type in questions actually during uh, during the forum, and uh, we'll pick out some of the best ones and hand those to our moderator. So there'll be an opportunity for at least a couple of, of live questions to be asked to the candidates as well. So um, hopefully you'll be able to tune in. Okay, so it's the uh, the other uh, one of the other smells in the air, other than election fever, is uh, new students coming back to, uh, to downtown Halifax. And uh, Halifax is, of course, it's a it's a great student town. And so, like everything else this year, things are a little bit different. Uh, there are fewer stu- students coming back, uh, but it is still uh, uh, it is still the start uh, of the school year uh, at our post secondary institutions. And so, there are um, you know a pretty large influx of students uh, coming in both internationally as well as other parts uh, from across Canada. Uh, and what's interesting. And of course, this year, which we often forget about, is there's a number of students who live in Halifax that potentially are going to universities outside of the province, uh, but they're staying here and they're studying remotely. So we may have, well, we will have some other students that normally would be packing up and, and going somewhere else this fall are, are going to be in town. So uh, that, that's exciting. Uh, it's obviously for for students at university, it's going to be a very different kind of experience than in years past, like everything else. Uh, but certainly we want to welcome those students um, uh, to town. Of course, we're encouraging them, uh, of course, to follow all the rules and regulations uh, regarding social distancing. Uh, but but we also want to encourage them to to get out and enjoy and explore downtown Halifax. So um, the uh, the... I think the rules are all well-known and posted, and there's going to be a special communication effort uh, by, by the universities themselves and government to make sure that, uh, that new students understand uh, what those rules and requirements are uh, coming into Halifax and to Nova Scotia. So welcome back, students. So, Paul, do you smell any other sector of the population I returning do. I to can, Halifax? I can smell the, uh, the, the, the wonderful smell of, of office workers, <laughs> uh, hopefully coming back uh, downtown. So uh, certainly one of the big differences that we've noticed uh, in downtown this summer is if you walk around, you know, on a nice summer evening on the waterfront, even though there's, there's fewer tourists, uh, it's still pretty busy. Uh, and on uh, you know, weekends uh, and evenings, uh, you'll see lots of po- folks around. But if you walk around downtown, um, you know, Monday to Friday, kind of during the day and at lunchtime, there's unquestionably a lot fewer people uh, than we're normally used to seeing because you know we're not having the same kind of number of tourists uh, and a lot of the office workers um, you know have not returned from uh, from working remotely and so that, that's for a variety of reasons um, uh, narrative research recently did a poll uh, which showed uh, the 74 percent of people are still working from home uh, in Halifax so that's that's 20 we've got about I guess in theory 26 percent of the regular office population is downtown and, and the other ones are not here so uh, we do anticipate as as schools uh, schools go back and his offices uh, aren't, have now had lots of time to kind of prepare themselves in terms of, of um, you know, making sure the office environment is safe and social distancing is possible and there's lots of cleaning happening, uh, that we'll start to see more and more office workers return to downtown. Uh, and even I'd say over the past couple of weeks, we've, we've started to see that already. 
uh, but we do have our fingers crossed for uh, a big bump um, over the next couple of weeks uh, as, as universities go back and as, as regular school goes back and, and childcare is put in place again. So, uh, so welcome back to the office workers. Um, and again, this is one of those things that uh, this may never go back to the way it was previously. I think you know, in talking with with colleagues and employers, I mean, there's a lot more flexibility uh, around office hours and working in the office. And 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 there's a number of people that uh, you know prefer working at home and are going to continue to work at home. Uh, but certainly, our message is that uh, that people are welcome to come back to downtown Halifax. We're in, encouraging all of our members who are employers to make sure that their office spaces, their workspaces are are safe and that uh, that staff feel comfortable. And again, whether someone comes back to work or not is a conversation that needs to happen between employer and employee. Um, but uh, but certainly the businesses um, that have been talking to us about uh, how lack of office workers has really hurt uh, their business, uh, we'd be very excited to see more people coming back. So we know that people will be coming back. It's just really a question of, uh, of what those numbers get to be. And what else, Paul? What else? Let's talk about uh, Tunes at Noon. So, sure. so Tunes at Noon was a was a very popular music program that we that we've run for years and years uh, in the summer in Grand Parade. Uh, so, typically every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in the summer uh, in Grand Parade, we would have a musical act performing, and uh, it, it was great. People would, would come out and they'd sit at the picnic tables, gather for lunch. It was often a very popular place for for daycares to go, and the kids would come out and, and dance on the lawn. Um, and um, you know, it was great. It's been a it's been a great program, and we're looking forward to doing it again at some point. But um, just just because of insurance difficulties and, and concerns around events and how many people could gather and, and security requirements that we might have to have, um, ultimately we had to make the decision to pull the plug on that program. Um, but we are reallo- reallocating those funds. Uh, I mean, we want to both support you know just the vibrancy of downtown and, and we want to support the uh, the arts and, and music community who who really are suffering uh, through this like everyone else. And so Tunes and Noon is, is being um, redefined uh, as a as a program which is actually going to be happening. Uh, from the fall through to the holiday season. Um, and it's going to be done as a grant program where our individual business members, uh, typically uh, places that have a, have a venue inside, so a, a bar or a pub, but not necessarily. It, it could be any member um, that's, that's open to the public. Uh, and they can apply for a small grant from the Business Commission uh, to employ a musical act uh, to, to perform. And so that will be happening over the next uh, the course the next couple of months. Uh, we're also going to select a couple of those uh, to do a live stream. So you'll be able to tune in and watch those tunes at noon um, happening. I guess you can watch them live at noon, or maybe you'll be able to watch it recorded at uh, at a non-noon time, but then it's then it's not tunes at noon. So anyway, uh, we're looking forward to rolling that program out. And again, it's another example, I guess, of, of the way we've had to change um, the way we've done some of our programming. But hopefully this uh, this fulfills the same kind of purpose that we have and, uh, and brings some music back to downtown Halifax over the next couple of months. So uh, we're looking forward to that. And if, um, if uh, business members uh, are interested in applying for one of the grants, uh, they can give you a call, right, Ivy? Yeah, they can email me or call me. Uh, my email is ivy at downtownhalifax.ca. Okay, uh, let's talk about a, an exciting new pilot project uh, that Downtown Halifax is part of, which is a, a pilot project around a, um, an e-bike local delivery service program. And so back, certainly back in the spring, what we saw were, uh, as, as businesses were, were really phys- physically closed, uh, to the public, uh, a need for figuring out how to do deliveries, right? So whether that was, well, rest- in most cases, restaurants, you know, are well-versed in doing deliveries. Some of them had to learn how to do it. Uh, but certainly some retail shops that had never done that before uh, or, you know, restaurants that were doing, you know, non-perishable items or that type of thing uh, as opposed to meals. Um, so there was a there was a call for from our businesses to the various business districts to figure out, is was there a better way uh, and maybe a cheaper way, more cost-effective way to do deliveries? There are a number of companies out there that will do deliveries, uh, in some cases, the price point uh, wasn't working for the businesses. In some cases, it was, and, and some businesses uh, made their own arrangements. In a lot of cases, business owners were simply driving around um, because their their store was closed, so they had some time to do that. Um, but there really seemed to be a, a lack of kind of a coordinated approach, and, and it's it's not something that the business commissions had ever undertaken before, but uh, we did put our heads together, and, um, and we called up our friends at the Halifax Partnership and the Innovation District just to really talk about what possibilities there were and, and what kind of information we can gather. So we did a couple of surveys learn more about it. Um, so the good news is the uh, the partnership is spearheading really a, a pilot project, uh, and we're looking for a couple of partners uh, to work with us uh, on, a, on a program which would see e-bikes, uh, which, are, which will be provided by the Ecology Action Center, uh, to do deliveries. So these would be deliveries mostly around the, the Halifax Peninsula, the urban core, um, with businesses, uh, and we're coordinating and partnering with, uh, with, with our neighboring business commissions in Spring Garden, uh, Quimpool, North End, who, who geographically are close to us. 
So the idea is for 30 days, um, funding will be provided uh, by Halifax Partnerships through some funding programs uh, that they've been able to access uh, to, to pay for delivery drivers, to use these bikes, um, to, to do deliveries for uh, a couple of businesses. So from, the, from all the business questions, we're looking for probably for about 10 businesses uh, that want to partner with us. Um, if this sounds a little bit uh, undefined, it is a little bit undefined. We're really looking to build the program uh, or the pilot project uh, with these businesses um, and, and figure out how to best do it, how to best capture data. Uh, and we'll take the learnings from this pilot project and hopefully be able to either facilitate a, a private sector operator to come in and take over the program um, or be able just to just share this information uh, broadly with businesses and, and other service providers. So um, it's really a kind of build the bike as you're driving it kind of program. Uh, so we're going to start things off um, by having by hosting a, a Zoom session. So any interested uh, retailer or business that, that is interested in being a partner in this program um, over the, the pilot project uh, period um, can participate in that. So uh, if you are interested in learning more about this program or participating uh, in the uh, Zoom session, uh, they can contact you, right, Ivy? That's right. They can email me at ivy at downtownhalifax.ca. Uh, there's also another goal in this pilot project as well, is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, so that's why they, they're using the e-bikes instead of a, a delivery truck or a car. Absolutely, because I think that's one of the concerns is as businesses, of course, are moving more to online platforms and doing deliveries, uh, that's great, and we're encouraging businesses to, to do more of that. But, you know, there can be negative environmental impacts to that as well. So, again, the idea is we're, we're looking to map out, um, you know, Certainly for close deliveries, e-bikes are, are a great option uh, for doing that. So, uh, so, yeah, so I think as, as opposed to adding to, uh, to our already bloated uh, greenhouse gas emissions, this is a great way to, to avoid doing that. So, yeah, that, that's uh, uh, obviously a great benefit for the program, too. Okay. Great. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. We were talking to Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission. He updated us on the mayoral candidates forum, out-of-town students and office workers coming back to downtown, uh, the new Tunes at Noon grant program and live streams concerts, as well as the delivery pilot program. Downtown Halifax Business Commission strives to provide the latest COVID-19-related information as the province revises restrictions. DHBC continues to follow the directives of the Nova Scotia Health Authority. Check DHBC's main COVID resource page for businesses and for the public at downtownhalifax.ca slash COVID-19. As we welcome out-of-town university students to Halifax, this is a reminder to those entering the province from the Nova Scotia Health Authority. Every post-secondary student traveling into Nova Scotia from outside Atlantic Canada needs to complete a Nova Scotia safe check-in form before they travel to the province. When they arrive in Nova Scotia, students must self-isolate for 14 days. Once students are in the province, they need to complete a digital check-in every day for their isolation period. If they don't check-in daily, the school will be notified and they'll try to help the student comply with the check-in. Students traveling into Nova Scotia from outside Atlantic Canada to attend university or NSCC must get tested for COVID-19 while they're self-isolating. Nova Scotia Health will email students the testing appointment details. Students will be tested three times while they're self-isolating. Students who arrive before August 20th, 2020, are self-isolating on campus while tested at least once. Even with negative results, students need to self-isolate for the full 14 days. Students can't attend in-person classes until their testing and self-isolation are complete and they receive negative test results. Students traveling into Nova Scotia from outside Atlantic Canada to attend private career colleges don't need to be tested for COVID-19. When they arrive in Nova Scotia, they must self-isolate for 14 days. These were just some of the measures that may affect businesses, visitors, or workers in downtown Halifax. View full notices and restrictions from the Nova Scotia government at novascotia.ca slash coronavirus slash hashtag alerts. And now for BizBuzz. And it's time for BizBuzz. Raf Peligro, our marketing communications coordinator for the summer, finished his term, so it's just you and me, Ivy. Oh, it's so fine. sad. Fine, oh, yeah, we're fine. <laughs> we'll be fine. For this episode, we will have some business milestones and updates. We will talk about places to get breakfast and lunch for all the workers who are starting to return to downtown Halifax. We'll review our list of where to get reusable face masks in downtown Halifax. We will quickly chat about our Meet Me Downtown campaign and our Downtown Halifax holiday gift guide. So let's get started with business milestones and updates. First, congratulations to Brada Jamaican Jerk Joint, who celebrated their one-year anniversary on August 20th. 
And congratulations to Yaya's Pizza, who are also celebrating one year of being downtown. Congrats to both of those businesses, which have been great additions to the downtown Halifax food and beverage scene. A few business updates. The Halifax Brewery Farmer's Market reopened their indoor Saturday market on September 5th. Their outdoor market and side door supper club program are both continuing for the time being. Follow at HFX Brewery Market on Instagram to keep up to date. Geo Restaurant in the Prince George Hotel is reopening on September 10th. You can learn more by following at Geo Halifax on Instagram. Sutton Place Halifax Hotel is opening September 8th in the Nova Centre. You can learn more by visiting suttonplace.com and choosing Halifax under Hotels in the menu bar. And finally, Peace by Chocolate, a chocolate confectionery store run by the Haddad family in Anaganish, Nova Scotia, is opening a new location in Queensmark in the fall, which is great. I'm really excited to hear that. I have you ever chocolate. had their chocolate? I have. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. And they have just such a great story. Yeah. So it's September already, and today, September 8th, is the first day of school across the province. This week is also the first week that many workers are starting to return to downtown Halifax. So for those of you who are returning downtown for the first time since March, welcome back. And now that you are back downtown, you will need to nourish yourself. So we thought that we would just remind everyone of all the great places to grab breakfast and or lunch now that you're back downtown. The Summit Cafe and Summit Place on Lower Water Street is a great place to grab a yummy homemade breakfast or lunch. They're open from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Monday to Saturday, and they have a great patio that overlooks the waterfront. Cabin Coffee is located on the corner of Hollis and Salter Streets. They're open from 7.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. weekdays, 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. on the weekends. Cabin Coffee is known for their amazing cinnamon buns, but they also have really yummy sandwiches, soups, and chilies at affordable prices. You can follow them on Facebook to keep up to date. The Bird's Nest on Barrington Street, closer to the corner of Blower Street, is open from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Monday to Friday. They have delicious muffins, breakfast wraps, sandwiches, and more. Follow at Bird's Nest Halifax on Instagram for more info. Elle's Bistro on Barrington is known for their brunches, but they're also open weekdays from 8.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. They have good sandwiches, soup, including seafood chowder, etc. Follow at Elle's Bistro to keep up to date. The French Fix on Prince Street is a great place to grab a coffee and a croissant on a break from work. They are now open Tuesdays to Fridays from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Check out at the French Fix on Instagram for more info. Cafe Tiaki 52 on Brunswick Street is open Monday to Sunday from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. They are known for their amazing sweet treats, that little tiaki fish filled with chocolate and other fillings, and their jaw-dropper ice creams. But they also have sandwiches and a variety of drinks like coffees, teas, smoothies, etc. Follow at tiaki 52 on Instagram. The Bill Caffeine Bar is located on Sackville Street in the Maple Building. They are open from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. weekdays and 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. on the weekends. They're known for their quality coffee and sandwiches. Follow at the Ville Caffeine Bar on Instagram for details. Where at Harbor Espresso Bar, which we've mentioned before, is one of Ivy's favorite places. is a great place to grab a coffee or another type of caffeinated beverage. They're located on Barrington Street, and you can follow at Weird Harbor on Instagram to learn more. And finally, there are also places like Anna's Cafe and Grill at 5151 George Street, the Costello Cafe and the Mara Building at 1223 Lower Water Street, and the Daily Grind on the Waterfront in Bishop's Landing. Oh, and also Trident Bishop Booksellers Cafe at 1256 Hollis Street. So lots of good places to grab lunches and uh, some breakfasts when you're back downtown. So let's quickly review all the places in downtown Halifax that are selling reusable face masks. In addition to the businesses that we mentioned last week, which included the Loop Modern Fiber Craft on Barrington Street, Sherzad's Tailoring Shop in the Alexander Keith's Brewery Building, and Lisa Drader Murphy, Carrefour Atlantic Emporium, and Northern Waters Knitwear and Tartan Shop in the Historic Properties, the following businesses are also selling reusable masks. Mech at 1550 Granville Street is selling masks. Biscuit General Store on Argyle Street is selling 100% cotton masks for $10, both in-store and online at biscuitgeneralstore.com. Urban Outfitters at 1650 Barrington Street is selling masks. Argyle Fine Arts at 1559 Barrington Street is selling masks for $10 each, and actually the proceeds from those masks are going to the Navigator Street Outreach Program. East Coast Lifestyle is selling masks online only at eastcoastlifestyle.com. And Thief and Bandit at 1673 Barrington Street is also selling masks. You can visit thiefandbandit.com to check out their selection. Canuck Trading at 1669 Barrington Street is also selling masks. You can see all the places in downtown Halifax that are selling masks by visiting downtownhalifax.ca slash masks. So switching gears, we launched our new campaign, Meet Me Downtown, early in August. The goal of the campaign is to remind people of all the great things about downtown Halifax. We all 
basically know what downtown area has to offer in terms of restaurants, shops, and attractions. We are now encouraging people to get back out and experience all the things that you love and maybe experience a few new things in downtown Halifax. The campaign is running primarily online, and we are running giveaways on our Facebook and Instagram pages over the next few weeks. So make sure you are following at Downtown Halifax on Facebook and Instagram to enter to win some great prizes to Downtown Halifax businesses. You can learn more about the campaign and what to do in Downtown Halifax by visiting downtownhalifax.ca slash meetme. And if you are a business or organization in Downtown Halifax that would like to get involved in our campaign, please email me. My email is alana at downtownhalifax.ca, and alana is A-L-L-A-N-A. And finally, the holidays are right around the corner. We are just starting to plan our 2020 Downtown Halifax Holiday Gift Guide. We'll be back this year, and it's going to be better than ever. For our Downtown Halifax members listening, please keep an eye on your email for more information about how to sign up for our gift guide, or you can email me again at alana at downtownhalifax.ca for more information. And before we sign off, Ivy, have you had any fun Downtown Halifax experiences in the past few weeks? Oh, I've been all over downtown. (laughs) (laughs) You are. You're pretty good to get out and do lots of things. I try. I really do. Um, So uh, I had lunch. um, Well, I got some takeout from Burrito Jack's on Blower Street. Yeah, they're really good. And uh, had the burrito bowl uh, with some tofu. I think the tofu is a new addition to their menu. Yeah. Uh, So I've noticed that I I like bowls. Yeah. I like like things in bowls. Yeah. (laughs) So that's what I had, the burrito bowl, and it was delicious. Um, with the tofu. It was great with the tofu. It was a nice addition. Um, Over the weekend. I actually uh, went on the Harbor Queen to George's Island. Oh, I'm jealous of that. Yeah, yeah we missed is, out on tickets. Yeah, so the tickets were all sold out yeah. uh, pretty quickly, mm-hmm. actually, because um, capacity was pretty limited. Yes. Uh, so there wasn't it wasn't crowded at all. We wore everybody wore masks mm-hmm. on the Harbor Queen, mm-hmm. um, even though we were outside. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was I felt pretty safe, mm-hmm. and even on the island. I remember the first time we went years ago uh, to George's Island. Mm-hmm. It was pretty crowded, mm-hmm. but this time around it was like everything was just wide open because um, the capacity, they just really limited the capacity. So, uh, and that was fun. Uh, That was really fun. Yeah, I've never been to George's Island. Oh, it's great. I actually saw a snake. I have photographic proof. (laughs) There are snakes on George's Island. Uh, But even though the tickets uh, were sold out pretty quickly, the plan is to open up George's Island every summer. Yeah, so that is great. If you I miss it this time, addition. go next yeah. year. Yeah, and it's uh, Murphy's who's mm-hmm. doing taking doing the boats. Yeah, Harbor Queen a new yeah. dock on George's Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was uh, it was pretty sweet. Yeah. Was, uh, and I think from what I've heard, uh, other tour boats can dock there also. Um, so if you would like to go on a private tour, I'm sure you can find some of the other smaller local tour boats that are mm-hmm. doing uh, trips over there. Right, which would be fun also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a good Next it was year, a good excursion on my bucket list. Oh yeah, do yeah. it, do it. Yeah. Um, after uh, George's Island, we went to Five Guys for for dinner. Yes, so Five Guys was, is good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my husband and my kid love, you know, the yeah. hamburgers and hot dogs. Well, my, my son loves the hot dogs oh, there. Okay. So yeah. uh, they do, they have um, reduced capacity inside right. the restaurant. So mm-hmm. there are only, I think, three tables available indoors. Oh, okay. Um, two tables and then a booth that was accessible. Mm-hmm. But, the, of course, they have the patio outside. Right, they do have the So patio the patio there. was just, yeah, a lot of people on yeah. the patio eating. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it was... Uh, so what do you get as a vegetarian? Oh, they have a veggie sandwich. Right. Yeah. Okay. And it's good? Basically, it's all the condiments okay. without the patty, but it, it just kind of works. Yeah, that does sound good, actually. Yeah. So that was that was yummy. Yeah. Um, I actually did take transit for the first time okay. since uh, since the pandemic. So, because um, I was a bit worried about mm-hmm. taking transit at first, but it was it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody was masked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody, you know, everybody adhered to the public health, great. Um, you know, mandate. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, the polycarbonate shield between. Uh, the passengers and the driver. So everything was fine and mm-hmm. it looked even like it looked sparkling clean in there. Yeah. Like they really upped the cleaning and sanitization uh, on the buses. So I was happy to see that. Yeah. Um, and actually, you mentioned Sutton Place Hotel yes. is opening. Yes. Um, actually, beautiful. the day of this um, episode yes. is uh, airing or released, and I actually booked uh, a room. Um, that is awesome. For a staycation yes. Yes. Uh, this coming weekend. Uh, so, uh, because they have a, a special rate, okay. a special opening celebration mm-hmm. rate. So, it's starting at $179 a good. night, which yeah. is great because it's a pretty high end luxury hotel. Yeah, you'll have to take some pictures. I will definitely take some pictures and let you know how You're it is. You're okay if I come by, right? 
<laughs> and hang out in our room. Hang out in your room. <laughs> you have to babysit then. Oh no. <laughs> you have to babysit Leo. Then. I do like Leo. Oh, I can bring I can bring my younger daughter. They can oh yeah, they'll just play. Yeah, they can play, play, play together. Yes, yeah. they can be alone. Yeah, no That's problem. Cool. Yeah, we would so, not do that. <laughs> so I just wanted to remind people to wear their masks because I am not going to name yes. any businesses, but uh, there were a couple of places where I saw some customers mm-hmm. come in without a mask, right. and there was one delivery person that uh, didn't wear a mask mm-hmm. and had it around the chin yeah, yeah. and when you're in an out, indoor public space yeah. you need to wear a mask you unless mask, you have yeah. a mm-hmm. medical condition mm-hmm. and but there are very few medical conditions mm-hmm. that would require you not to wear a mask yeah so it the individuals can be fined a thousand dollars so it's yeah. pretty serious yeah. and i know that the businesses are trying to adhere to the mandate and everything they can be charged yes um fined okay. uh seventy five hundred dollars as a oh, business wow i didn't know that oh yeah yeah so I know that uh, they they aren't um, uh, required to enforce the mask wearing. Right. Uh, they're not. They don't need to ask the customers. Mm-hmm. But for their safety, I know that some businesses would like their customers exactly. to wear masks, yeah. and yeah. just to avoid that awkward, uncomfortable, you know, maybe yeah. confrontational interaction, just. Just wear a mask. Just wear a mask. It's just, just wear a mask. the decent thing to do right now. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and just think about, like, if you pass COVID on to a uh, restaurant worker, then that, that business has to close. Oh, it would be devastating. And it would just be so devastating for that business and all the employees. So we have to think about it in terms of people around you. Absolutely. Um, so I've had a couple experiences, not as much fun stuff as you, but I did uh, go to Julep Kitchen and Cocktails. Oh, that um, was fun. I was with you. Patio. Yeah, you were with me. Hey. <laughs> and uh, it's still patio season. It was a beautiful day. It was. Um, it was really comfortable. It wasn't too hot, and it was just really an awesome patio day. And their patio is on Prince Street on the corner of Prince and Barrington, sort of overlooking St. Paul's Church. Uh, it's a nice, actually, view, and we had some good food. We had the gnocchi and some of the fried artichokes, which are my favorite. Uh, it, it was delicious. It was really good. I, I had the handmade fettuccine with yes, jumbo shrimp. Really oh, it was so good. Yeah. Really good. Um, I also popped in to Argyle Fine Art. Um, again, they have the hand sanitizer at the door. They're asking people to wear masks. They have directional signage in their place. I mean, it's pretty small, but I felt, you know, very comfortable. Um, they have such beautiful artwork there right now. I always love going in and, and poking around. And Adriana is always really good for changing up all the art mm-hmm. a lot. Um, so it's always something new to see there. And again, we've talked about Summit Cafe a couple times, but I went there today and they have just really good homemade food. Um, I had their bun on the run, which is basically the bre- breakfast sandwich, and it is one of my favorites. And, I, <laughs> and it has I the best name. And too. it's so affordable. <laughs> it's like four bucks, not less than four bucks to for this breakfast sandwich. And you can take it and go. And it's just really good. I think I, I think I could probably eat it every day. Oh, but I wouldn't. <laughs> but I could. And I think that's it. Anything else? No, I no. think so, yeah. Okay, that's it Covered for it Buzz for episode 32. Right. Thanks uh, for joining me, Ivy. This concludes Downtown Lowdown episode 32, recorded on September 3rd, 2020. For more information, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash podcasts. And give us a rating, and don't forget to subscribe to Downtown Lowdown on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.